we talk on the phone. So that last time three weeks ago that we spoke on the phone, I'm grateful I got to tell her how much I loved her and how, how grateful I was for her for helping me get to meetings, for helping me at times that I really needed her through my relationship. So I went to this meeting last Friday. My sponsor was there. I went and I shared the gal who cut me off as her sponsor. And she said, you know, uh, we need to move on. We have more people in the room. And I said, okay. And I had to sit there. I don't know if that's happened to anybody, but I had to pray about it. And I'd say, you know what? God wanted me to be quiet. He wanted me to listen to somebody else right now. My sponsor was sharing and it was God works in mysterious ways. She had said that she was sober for 13 years. She went out for 13 years and now she has eight years and everything that she's learned, nothing happens by coincidence. And all of a sudden, you know, she looked into the middle of the room and she said, I, I'm not feeling well. And something happened with her lips. Like it was like the life just came right out of her and she was starting to fall to the floor and everybody was running to her. I was kind of having a panic attack because I was scared. I didn't know if it was real or what was going on. And um, she died right there, right in front of us. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, hello, my little quarantine friends. That was the voice of Miss Brittany W. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you are going to hear so much more from her in just a moment, but... First things first, this episode, right here, right now, at this very moment, is brought to you by Janice and Scarlett and Tiffany. You know what Janice and Scarlett and Tiffany did? Well, let me tell you. They went to our website, website, did I say website? Anyway, website, soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little PayPal, Yeller, Donate tab, and they made a contribution, a contribution. Thank you very much, Miss Janice, Miss Scarlett, and Miss Tiffany. This episode is coming right out to you all. And as normal, if it's all right with you guys, we are going to let the rest of the listeners uh, sit in on this with us. Uh, I know you will be generous and allow them to do that, but this episode is coming right out to you. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening, listening in. So take a seat around this virtual state table 
It's <laughs> not stable. That'd be for horses. Uh, and let's get started. All right. So what do I want to share with you today? Oh, if you're not in the secret Facebook group and you would like to be, please send me your email associated to your with your Facebook account at John J O H N at SoberSpeak.com. And we would love to have you in there. Keep in mind, this is a ton of amazing like-minded friends of Bill W. Allen on and other 12-step groups. And everyone is welcome on in. We would love to have you there. If you're not following me on Instagram, I am at SoberSpeak, all one Word. All right, so I have a little bit of listener feedback here right on the front end. And Adam wrote in. Adam's from Ontario, Canada, up there in the Great White North. And Adam said, Hi, John. I just listened to your newest episode with Bill C and the fourth step. I still remember when I listened to Bill on the first episode with steps one, two, and three, which happened to be your first episode of this year, 2020. I really find that I am able to relate to him. Is there any chance, John, you can get him to be the speaker on a Zoom meeting? Cheers, Adam K. Well, Adam K., your wish is my command. Well, at least in this case, your wish is my command. And guess what, folks? We are going to have a shindig. And this is going to be the first shindig I've ever had via Zoom. I've always had Zober Speak live events. And every time we have the live event, we are doing it here in North Texas. And the only way you can make it is if you happen to be in North Texas. But guess what? Everybody's going to be invited to this one. Bill C., in the flesh, well, in the Zoom flesh, I guess is what you would call that, Bill C. is going to be appearing at a Sober Speak Live event via Zoom on May 8th at 7 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Pacific. So uh, stay tuned for more details on that. I'll post some things on... Um, uh, what do you call it? Social media. <laughs> yeah, that's what you call it. Social media. And um, I will get it on the website as well, uh, www.soberspeak.com. So you can have the the link and all that other stuff. Uh, so now that I have announced that, I've got to go figure out <laughs> how to do this, uh, which is the story of my life, right? I, I, I make a commitment and then I just go and figure out how to do it. But now I'm kind of boxed in since this is coming out to many people. Hey, everybody, just a real quick update. After I recorded this episode, I figured out that I had to change the start time for Bill C on the May 8th date from 7 p.m. Central to 8 p.m. Central. That's 6 p.m. Pacific. And all that will be available on social media and our website, www.soberspeak.com. Uh, thanks. Back to the episode. <laughs> Let's get on to Miss Brittany W. We are calling this episode, But for the Grace of God Go I. Brittany is a kind kind soul, 
living in Arizona, uh, and I so much insp- uh, enjoyed spending time with her, uh, interviewing her for this podcast, and even getting ready for it, uh, meeting her family, I, I should say just her husband, and uh, uh, it was such a good time. And so anyway... She lives in Arizona, and like many of us, she has had more than her share of hardship to deal with in her 34 years on this earth. Like I said, it's titled, But for the Grace of God, There Go I, and we did not talk about this on the episode, but Brittany has a tattoo on her back that says, But for the Grace of God, Go I, three seventeen. 14, March 17th of 2014, and it's all on one line. And so after thinking about it a little bit uh, and uh, uh, chewing on what the title should be, uh, that's the one she wanted. So that's the one we are going with. Brittany has six years of sobriety, and there's a little bit of something in this episode for everyone. Now, here's just a few of the subjects we discuss. We discuss promiscuity. We talk about anxiety, meth addiction, suicide attempts, uh, Brittany's seizure at work, Brittany's complicated relationship with her father, uh, Brittany meeting her biological mother when she was 21 years old, abusive relationships, gambling addictions, bulimia, stepmoms, and that is just the tip of the iceberg. But the part that I enjoyed the most, we end up discussing Brittany's new husband and their loving blended family with five kids. Uh, and they both try to be an example for others in AA that this way of life works if you work it. So when I say buckle up, I mean it. Buckle up. <laughs> this one is going to be a wild ride. And we will have plenty of... Listener feedback at the end of this episode. So be sure to listen on in after we're done. Enjoy. Very day right here, right now. We are sitting here with Miss Brittany W. So Brittany, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give you sobriety date if you would like, and let people know what area of the United States you're located in. Okay. Hi, my name is Brittany W. Um, my sobriety date is three seventeen fourteen. Uh, I live in, currently. I live in Arizona, and uh, I've been here about eleven years now. And um, I just had my six years on March seventeenth, which is St. Patrick's Day. So ah, well, congratulations <laughs> on that six years. That is fantastic. Good to hear. Thank you. Well, yeah. so Brittany, I asked you to uh, pick out something from some of the literature that is important to you. Uh, and I know it's always hard because there's so much in the literature and I know so much of it means so, uh, so much to so many of us. Um, but why don't you go ahead and read something? I think you have something picked out there from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that you'd like to read. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and read that. Yes, I do. And actually, it was it was pretty hard to uh, choose. Of course, I love the 12 and 12, you know, the big book itself. But I think for me, what really hits me hard is the third step prayer. And, you know, I always go back to that. So uh, here I go. So God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. 
Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. Of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life, may I do thy will always. Beautiful prayer. Um, so let me ask you something. Is there anything in particular that stands out about that prayer, or is there some particular moment in sobriety that has made that stand out to you? Yeah, um, you know, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Um, you know, to build with me, I think is so important. You know, I was uh, chopped down so so small, you know, growing up in my life and not really knowing who I was, where I wanted to go, um, you know, what I was going to do. So for me to offer myself to a higher power, you know, people can call it God, higher power, whatever it might be to them. Um, but to offer myself to something bigger than me and to relieve me, you know, of, of the bondage of self, you know, and that's all it was about was all about me, my woes. I was scared. I had anxiety. I was all these things, but to be able to say this prayer and actually feel it. And, you know, when I was in treatment years ago, it was some, the first prayer that I had to um, memorize. So I think to me, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's powerful. It's huge. And that's kind of what um, I refer back to. So I, I picked up on a little something there. Let's go into your background a little bit. You said that you were mm -hmm. chopped down so small uh, mm -hmm. as you were growing up, I guess. So let's go back there. What do you? What happened in your childhood? What do you mean by that? So uh, in my childhood, you know, and and uh, I, I'm 34 now. So you know, I was born in 1985. Um, I have a couple notes. I think, I think the biggest thing for me is, um, like I said, just having anxiety, not knowing who I was, you know, kind of bouncing around from place to place as a child. You know, my dad, um, I stayed with him. He took me from my mother when I was about six months old. Of course, I don't recall that. However, he always had a different woman in my life. Um, and so for that, you know, it was kind of what woman can I trust? Who is this? Who is this next one? Oh, she's my mom all of a sudden. Um, you know, and I grew up with five different stepmoms. So, uh, and then within that I had five, you know, I say two, seven siblings because I don't know if I count the last couple. I do. I love them of course. But, um, the ones I grew up with were five different siblings, you know, and, uh, moving around, I moved around about 10 times. Uh, you know, people would say, are you in the army? You know, I'm not an army brat. I'm an addict brat, you know, because my, my father was in active use all the times, all the time. And, uh, so were the women that he was with. Therefore, you know, one of the women that he chose and he was with for about 10 years, he took me away uh, from my, my other one that I was calling mom at the time, who we had a, a brother from, um, you know, and I, we just immediately started living with this lady and uh, it was okay in the beginning, which it always is. And, um, and then as time went on, you know, she, she resented me in some way, shape or form, but most of the reason was because of my father. He was manipulative, you know, he was, um, uh, he was a liar. He was a cheater, you know, and he was a complete alcoholic addict and it was very all over the place. And I never kind of knew where my place was. And then especially with her and I was very jealous, which that's kind of a characteristic that I saw of him, which is now a defect of mine. Um, I saw a lot of those things and, uh, she and I started to butt heads once I started to develop and, you know, get older. And she was very beautiful. She had blonde hair, you know, perfect body. And, and those were the messages I was also getting. So I, I was bulimic at the age of, you know, 12. Uh, we were taking diet pills. She'd give us diet pills. My sister and I was her daughter. Um, so, you know, I was, uh, she'd say things to me. I mean, these are the messages I got all my life that were like, uh, you know, you're pretty, but you need a nose job. 
you know, you do this. Okay. But you don't do this. Okay. You know, so I was kind of chopped down to, to small and so insecure and not knowing where my place was in life around that time, you know, and that, that traveled on with me into adulthood. I'm curious. So. I picked up on a phrase there and I, I just want to go back. When you said your dad took you from your mom when you were six months mm -hmm. old, can, mm -hmm. can you describe that a little bit? Um, you know, and this is just getting it from, from both sides. And my dad never really tells the truth. And, you know, I don't really know my mother. She's more of the victim role. She's also uh, an active uh, user. I'm not sure to this day, but I know it was not too long ago. And, um, you know, from both sides, I'm getting, well, you know, she was doing this and this, and I, I had to take you from her cause it wasn't safe. And, and then for her, it was saying, I was standing right there and, and he took you right from me. And, you know, and, and I was like, well, you know, did you ever go to court or did you guys fight about it? And she said, no, I just let it go. Gotcha. You know, and, uh, and it never really affected me until I really started to think about that when I was older and I had my own children and I, I, I could never just stand on the street corner and say, well, I, I just let him go, right. you know, so. I get it. So, all right. So, and when, here's another thing I was thinking about while you were talking about that. Did, did, did your dad and or your mom uh, ever find recovery? Um, you know, that kind of goes into today, but yes, a couple years ago, I think throughout, I didn't really understand what recovery was, but I know that he went to a couple rehabs. He went to jail and stuff like that. And when he would come out, he would seem so great. And then all of a sudden there'd be that beer right back in his hand, you know, the Budweiser. Um, and just a couple years ago, yes, he, he actually, uh, reached out to me and I was working in a treatment center and I had resources and I had numbers and that if that was something that I had to do in sobriety to get, you know, the little amount of time that he and I had, we had about a month or two of a great relationship talking every day. I wasn't worried. I, I wasn't like, where is he, you know, hope or hoping he was dead. Cause so I could at least know where he was, you know, he would up and leave all the time. That was kind of like, uh, my life that he did that to me all my life. Um, but he did, he went to some treatment center in California and it was a 10 day program. And, you know, when, when you're on that pink cloud and, and AA this and AA that and da, 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 and my sponsor. And then all of a sudden it started to dwindle and he'd start calling me his sponsor. And I said, dad, it, it can't work like that. You know, it's just, you cannot depend on me in this way. I will help you the best I can, but I would also refer you to other men, which he wouldn't call. So, um, but as of today, I think he, he has gone to a couple of meetings, but with the, uh, the virus kind of going around, he has to stay home and I'm not sure if he's doing the online resources. I know I am, but you know, that's, that's his story and his life, you know, understood. All right. So let's get a little bit, of, I guess, chronological now then, I guess, uh, let's, uh, so I, I know a little bit about your childhood going through your teenage years. Uh, why don't you take me through kind of, you know, more like late teens coming up into early twenties mm -hmm. and what was going on sure, with you at oh, that yeah. time? <laughs> yeah. Uh, late teens. So, you know, what comes to mind is when we moved to San Diego, that was actually before I was just right before I was a teenager. And I went through, um, you know, I'd already gone to probably about seven different schools by that point. Um, and then being in middle school, you know, I, I always had a kind of a promiscuous side to me and it didn't really flourish until I got into about ninth grade. And I think I was 14 and, and I'll be completely open and, and honest about it. You know, that, that is when I lost my virginity, it was to somebody that I absolutely loved. And we kind of had that, mutual thing back and forth. But then once, you know, I got into high school and I started seeing all these other guys and parties and drinking and out, you know, everything. Um, I kind of just, we, we 
split ways. And from there on, I mean, I was, um, I always had a boyfriend. I was always at a party. I was always drinking. I was always doing, I don't know if we can refer to it as drugs or outside issues, but I was, I was doing something to have some sort of relief and I needed relief from my home life. You know, my dad was an addict. He was an alcoholic. It was very scary to be home. Um, you know, he'd say we're really weird things and, and make me feel, um, just very scared, you know, all the time. And, you know, like I said, he'd manipulate between my, my stepmom and I, and, and he'd come to me and say, you know, she's saying all this about you and, and, uh, she's saying this and then, and the family doesn't like you and this and that making me feel, I think now that I'm thinking about it, it's almost projecting how he felt in his own way and projecting it onto me. And, um, cause I was, I was that product of him. I was exactly him. Um, and so he would manipulate that. And so I would, I would start hating my stepmom or we would start fighting and, you know, same thing with her. And then she, she got into this really bad accident, which is something that I just thought of. And, uh, you know, she was a horse. We had horses actually at this point and, um, uh, the horse fell back on her and she broke her pelvis and, and all that stuff. And I look back now, I didn't care. I did not care that that happened to her. My dad was out and about. He said I could stay out till four in the morning if I wanted, as long as I was home by, you know, by daylight. And, uh, so I, it was a lot of confusion because he tried to be so stern and, and strict with me and, um, say just, just the weirdest stuff. And I can't think of it now. It was cause he was a meth addict. So, you know, when, when you think about someone that's a meth addict and he's doing it and at, by, by this point, I think he was shooting it. I don't know. Um, you know, it's, it's some really weird things that you'll hear and see. And, uh, it was pretty scary. So with her, you know, she was, I believe she was, you know, using at the time and she was sitting in this hospital bed in our, our house and there were cats everywhere and it was just dirty. And I, you know, ran away up the street. My best friend lived up the street actually. And they wanted to adopt me because it was just so, it was so terrible there, you know, and my, my stepmom and dad would fight. I mean, it was to the point of abuse and it was to the point where cops were called. I mean, it was anything that you can think of under the sun that was going on in this household. So, uh, by that point I ran up to my best friend's house and I started living there and my dad tried to come retrieve me in the craziest of craziest ways. And, uh, I said I was staying. So I, I lived with her for about a year and a half. And by that point, you know, school was just, that wasn't the first thing on my list, you know, and me and a bunch of girls were living at her house doing uh, drugs. And I had a boyfriend, this is a very big turning point in my life that, uh, I had a boyfriend that was, we were very, very toxic with each other. And he was in, in, I don't want to be too much into it, but you know, he was in some groups, if you will, that, uh, you don't mess with. And so at times I felt safe, but at times I didn't. And I think with him, I've, I've realized over the years that um, I was searching for my dad and he was my dad in every way, shape and form. And he was just a little bit older than I was, but I, I absolutely loved him in the most toxic way I knew how, you know, and uh, to be able to see that today and identify that is pretty neat because over time I didn't choose guys like my dad. I turned into him and then I chose guys that were like, you know, the, uh, the Al-Anon, if you will, or. Um, the type that I could control and the nice ones, you know, that I, I didn't treat very well over time. Um, and so by that point, you know, he had gone to jail for one of the last times and, uh, you know, uh, and also if I can back up just a little bit during this time, you know, I did try to commit suicide, but the way that, that I did it was, uh, with like Advil, you know, I didn't know any better and I wasn't super into drugs, you know, just yet. I think I was about 15 years old and, um, I didn't really want to, but at the time I was living in that house that was like that. And I was involved with the groups and this, this guy 
where something had happened and I was, uh, I told about it to, to the police and they all wanted to kill me by this point. And I wanted to kill myself. It was a small town. Everybody knew about what had happened. I was so scared out of my mind. I wanted to move, but, and people were threatening me, you know, and if I'd go to parties, I'd have to hide from certain people. And by this time, you know, I was so promiscuous that I was doing things with other, other guys and, and the girlfriends would find out and then they'd want to kill me. I mean, I was just digging myself the deepest hole, you know, and it was, it was so scary. So the, the guy I was with, you know, went to jail for a while. And when he got out, we were back together and, um, I ended up moving with my dad one day. He just said, you know what, we're going to leave. We're leaving when he got out of jail. He said, we're packing your stuff and we're going to live with your aunt in LA said, okay, okay. You know, I was devastated. I left my, my toxic boyfriend that I, that I loved so much and, uh, and we moved. And so there, thank God, you know, by that point, I would think I've reached eight schools because I kept getting kicked out and thinking I was, you know, this and that fighting and, you know, doing the whole, uh, the, the things that you do in groups. I don't want to say what they are, you know, um, that you do with, with people like that. And so we moved and I, my uncle ended up helping me, um, finish high school or finish a grade so I could get my credits up. So to him, I, I'm so grateful. Um, but yes, and my aunt, they let me and my dad live there. And, uh, over time, you know, I, I graduated high school and I had a boyfriend. I went to prom. I did all the things I didn't think I was going to do. Meanwhile, you know, I was drinking and, and during that time, it was okay though. You know, we were German, we were Catholic. It was, we'd go to church and you'd go and you'd hurry and get that, that, that 30 pack of beer. And here we go, we're going to get, you know, messed up. And, and that's kind of the vision I had of, uh, God too. It was, you know, I learned the, the Catholic way. And for me today, that doesn't work for me <clears throat> and that's okay. My entire family are, are deep alcoholic Lutherans. So they had their way of thinking and, uh, it was a punishing God. And it was, I was never really, uh, nobody ever really explained anything to me. So what I had in that, you know, I, if I, if there was a God, I was mad at him. I was upset with him. Why was my life like this? <clears throat> you know, um, why did it go the way that it did? Why did my childhood, why was it so scary? <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, anyway, so by that point, you know, I had graduated and I got a really good job at Nordstrom and, um, I started working there and I had some really good friends and we were almost 21 by this point. And it was so much fun at this point. This is the point I can reflect back on and say, Oh my gosh, that party was so fun. Gosh, we were so silly, you know, this and that. And, uh, which quickly, you know, spiraled so fast within years. But that point I wasn't doing drugs. I was more or less looking, for, I had really bad anxiety. So, uh, you know, Xanax and pills were things that I would mix with alcohol and there were, um, you know, many times some bad things happened, but you know, I never got a DUI. I never got pulled over by this point. I drove drunk with my friends all the time and I am so grateful. I didn't hurt anybody. My gosh, you know, we were out all the time. And so, so what I, I like to talk about a lot too, is that constant conflict in life. And for me, it was, you know, I was this good girl working at Nordstrom and at night I had a job at a strip club. You know, it was never like I was one way or the other. I was that chameleon. I was two, three, four different people at once and I could handle it. But over time it got to be too much and that's where it just everything crumbled. Um, and I, I wasn't stripping, you know, I was just working as a cocktail waitress or whatever, but I needed to make my own way. I always had two jobs. I always made sure that I was taken care of because nobody else was going to do it for me. My dad was, you know, all over the place. And, you know, by that point I moved out of my aunt's house and it didn't go well. I always burned bridges. You know, I see that now I was very immature. I think at times and why me, why me? I didn't do this and justifying and, you know, all the things that it says in the book that, uh, 
that, uh, you know, turns us into having resentment, you know, and all those things come with it. And I was, I was not a very happy person. So again, I still had boyfriends, um, by this, this point, I think, I think I would like to be open and honest about this because I'm sure other people can identify, you know, um, I got pregnant and I think I was 22. I might've been 22. Um, and, uh, by that point, you know, what I had known about being pregnant and not being married, it was a sin. It was bad. It was terrible. It was all these things. And I immediately got an abortion because I, Oh no, not me, not me. I will not do this, you know? And I think the, the guy I was with was very sad. And for me, I don't think I've ever honestly, um, dealt with it. And even today, for some reason, it doesn't bother me. I don't know why. Um, I just think it wasn't meant to be at that point. And uh, maybe I should take a look into that. You know, I, I kind of have a couple times with my sponsors and they said, you know, if you don't feel anything now, maybe you will later and you deal with it then. And that's okay with me because I think that God puts things in my life to where uh, he'll put them in my life when I'm able to handle it, you know, and I, and I fully, fully believe in that. Um, you know, so after that, <clears throat> I think I had, I had lost my jobs um, by that point because I was really heavily into Xanax. I tried getting sober like one time, but that was just not drinking. I had no, I was not aware of programs or anything. And, uh, you know, by this point, I was still in LA, Orange County, kind of Fullerton, just everywhere out there. And uh, I was living with my grandma at that point, and I lost all my jobs because, you know, they were, <laughs> I was doing really crazy things. And, I lost a really good job. Nordstrom was an amazing job and uh, I was so grateful to have been working there, but I lost it. And then I lost the strip club job and then I had two other jobs after that. I lost those because I was heavily into Xanax. That guy that went to jail, um, my toxic ex-boyfriend, he had gotten out because he went to prison for five years. And by that point, I, I went back with him. I just moved right back up to San Diego. I was on Xanax and I was drunk and I drove right there, to, you know, two and a half hours away. And I started to live with him. And, and this is another turning point. You know, um, my aunt and uncle that I'd lived with out there, they moved to Arizona. And he, uh, he and I were very abusive with each other. We had very, uh, we were just alcoholics. We were terrible, you know, and I loved him in a way that was crazy and toxic. And um, I, uh, I don't know, one night it just ended up to where, you know, we, he had, had choked me. I hate to put too much out there because I, just because, um, but I think it's important that people know, you know, he had choked me and I wasn't, I wasn't any angel. Trust me. If he came at me, I would punch him right in the face, you know? Um, and, but he choked me and it was scary. And, you know, the next day I had called my aunt and uncle that night and I said, I know I burned bridges. I am so sorry. I have to get out of here. I feel like he's going to kill me or I'm going to kill him, you know? And, uh, so I left, my dad came and got me cause he was somehow miraculously there. You know, he just shows up randomly and he took me to the airport and then that's why I'm out here in Arizona to this day, 11 years ago, was because of a, a bad relationship. So I moved up here with my aunt and uncle. I think I was 23 or 24 about this point, 24. And, uh, you know, they helped me get into school. They helped me get on my feet. I got a job. You know, they were the people that were always there when my dad couldn't be. And um, whether or not we saw eye to eye and whether or not they drank and I drank, it was the point that they wanted to help me. You know, I see that today. And so... I moved in with them. And like I said, I went to school and I was going to do nursing and I had a job. And then, you know, the partying started to come in way too much. They were okay with it because they drank, but you know, it started to show itself in, um, you know, me losing my job. I got pregnant, <laughs> you know, all the things that kind of happen when you're just uh, foolishly, you know, gallivanting around town. And so, uh, I got pregnant again. And of course my first thought was, Oh my God, I can't have this. I'm not married. It's a sin. Well, well, all the time, this whole time I'm sinning, you know, all over the place, but this is the one thing I was scared about, really scared about. Um, 
and me and, and that guy, you know, we stayed together. We ended up getting married and we had our son and he was, you know, the one thing that, that I can look at and really just, Oh my God, this is love. This is really what love is. And I will never do what my parents did slowly, but surely I turned into my dad yet again, you know, um, I didn't think it was too bad because he was so little. But then once he started getting older and my, uh, my emotional, I couldn't be there for him emotionally. Physically, I was a wonderful mother. I was there. I made sure he ate. I made sure he had organic food. I made his food. You know, I had all these things underneath me. I'm like this. <laughs> Sometimes I think I'm this Amish, like uh, I can be this homeschool mom that does all these things. And then here I am drinking at night and fighting with my husband and, and being horrible, you know, and, and almost cheating on him and talking to other guys outside of this marriage that we had. Um, one other thing I, I like to bring up too, that was really hard for me in sobriety to get through was I drank, uh, when I was pregnant with my son and I smoked pot, I smoked pot for about six months. And then, uh, I drank probably two or three times. And, uh, one time it was, it was a bottle of wine. The other time it may have, I think it was like two Coronas and another time was like a tall boy. Um, you know, but I sipped it and I would always read back online. Is it okay to drink beer? Is it okay to drink beer? Cause I needed that justification in some way, shape or form. I couldn't stop myself and I would feel guilt and I would feel shame. And I cried a lot because I couldn't stop. <laughs> and a lot of people I've heard them, you know, when I'm pregnant, I stopped drinking and this and that. I'm like, Oh my God, how, how could, how did you do it? I had to have something. Um, and so I had my son and he was perfectly fine. He was a beautiful boy. And I sat there and I'd cry all the time and I breastfed. I breastfed him for over a year and I drank while I breastfed, not every day, but I did do that. And that's another thing I held a lot of guilt and shame over and I cried all the time. And so I drank over that and I used over that, you know, it's such a horrible, terrible cycle thinking back and putting myself back in there. It's almost like this, uh, you know, out of body experience that I'm feeling right now. Cause I can place myself right back into those times. So once he got a little bit older and I quit breastfeeding, I had, you know, anxiety of course. And I started, I went through a doctor and then I'd use my pills up so quickly. And then I'd get Xanax on the street and I would drink wine every night and I would fight with my husband and I was very horrible to him, but he was that Al-Anon. He enabled me. I'd say, you know, I'm not going to be nice to you unless you go get me wine down the street and he'd do it. And he was great. He was gentle and he was nice, but you know, it was, um, I put a lot on him and it was, it was really sad because he had gone through a lot in his life too, but he was always there. So by that point we got a divorce. Um, I was, I had a new job at this point and, uh, we got a divorce. He, he served me with divorce papers. I just let him have the house. I let him take everything because I think I was cheating on him by this point. Um, whether he knew it or not, I knew I didn't deserve, you know, the things that we had built together. Cause I was just such a, I hate to say piece of shit. I hate to say that because I didn't know any better at the time. Looking back, somebody might see me and say, oh my God, what a terrible woman. But I mean, deep down, there was so much in there that that's the only way I knew how to cope. And so uh, we got our divorce. I was working at that job. I wasn't eating. I was probably about 110 pounds. You know, I was like 130, probably up and down my whole life. And uh, by that point, I was 110, you know, and I thought that I thought I looked great. You know, I always did my makeup. I made sure I had a lot of water. I always say by that point, you know, I was the uh, the healthiest tweaker that I knew, or the healthiest <laughs> alcoholic that I knew, uh, you know, because I wasn't dehydrated and I made sure I ate little bits of uh, greens and you know, the organic thing came in. It was just so weird. <laughs> to, to, to be like that, ruining your body, but taking care of it at the same time. It's that constant conflict. Um, so my first thing, yes. 
So let me just do a little mid-tro here, and uh, we'll go back right. into it. We'll be continuing our conversation with Brittany in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Self, uh, Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, or organization uh, or institution. Excuse me. All right. Now back to Miss Brittany. All right. So you're a healthy tweaker. I love that. <laughs> right. Well, I hate to even say the word tweaker. You know, I wasn't fully into it by this point. Um, but it was something that I did turn to because of the fact that alcohol wasn't working. Pot wasn't working. All my pills weren't working. I had to find a different high. Um, but right before I even engaged in that, I had a seizure at work. This was my first seizure in July of 2013. Um, I was going out every single night. By this point, I was not healthy, obviously, if I'm having seizures. I couldn't eat. You know, I drank my water um, and I was, you know, diet pills and I was still on, you know, diet teas. And uh, it was all about my image while my head was just insane. Um, so by that point, I had a seizure at work. Uh, you know, I met this guy right after that. And this is another turning point in my life where this boyfriend was bipolar and uh, he didn't take his meds and I had no, I had knew nothing about it. And to see someone that is bipolar and going through the manic phases that you know nothing about at the time is so scary. Um, it came to a point where I had another seizure. It was uh, December 31st of 2013. He and I were, you know, we were pill seekers and, and just in the short few months that we were together, it felt like years and it was, uh, it was very traumatic. Um, by this point, you know, he had, he had sliced his wrist open two times. Um, I think, well, this was like the first time and he just did it. And he took the, this piece of glass that he had broken off something that I had and he took it all the way up his arm and I had to watch him bleed. And, uh, I had to call the ambulance, you know, to have them come over. And I remember sitting there with my wine, they took him, they took him away. And I was sitting there in this pool of blood that I had to clean up. So it was very traumatic for me. I was super scared. Um, and this happened again, you know, once he got out of, uh, I don't even know where he went to be honest. It was like a psych ward or something crazy. When I had had my seizure, I hurt my back, um, in the, uh, in the bathtub, the ambulance came and got me. The ambulance were at my house all the time. It was pretty crazy. Um, I tried quitting drinking in between there, but the pills became so much and the other things that, you know, it was, there was no relief still. And I was killing myself. Um, so the last time that he had, had sliced his wrist, you know, it's, it's a really traumatic thing and not being able to be um, in therapy for something like that, that you know nothing about. It was very, very traumatic. So he did it again. And I remember that uh, I was coming to get my stuff from, we were broken up by this point. This was like now February, early February of 2014. I was coming to get something from my house. And that's when he was laying there in that pool of blood and he had sliced his wrist open. So I didn't see this time, but I had seen him and he just looked dead, you know, and I had to call the police and they came and got him. And here I was in this pool of blood again. And that was just like my life. My life was just this pool of blood, impending doom constantly. It was scary. My son, by this point, was back and forth between me and his dad. He didn't see any of this stuff, thankfully. Um, 
you know, but by this point, uh, this is where I started getting into meth again. And that was where I, I couldn't find any relief or anything with anything else that I started to use. And it was only on the weekends, you know, how we start uh, just on the weekends. And it was, well, you know, let's throw in a day here. Well, let's throw in four days. It's not the whole week and I can recover, you know? So this was a, a short month that that happened. And I was hanging out with some not very good people. Uh, so by this point, I remember visiting my dad. My son was with his grandparents. I visited him. Uh, he, he was in LA and he said, you need to go to treatment. You need help. And I just looked at him like, how dare you look at you? Like, what, what do you know? You know? And I remember being really resentful. I remember going home. This was February. Um, and I had called him about a week later and I said, dad, I, I think I need to go. You know, but by this point, the turning point where I knew that I had to go and I had to surrender, um, I was driving down the to, from the casino. I had my last bit of money that I got from that, you know, by the boyfriend that was bipolar and he was not in my life at this point. Um, I had the last of my money. I went to the casino. I lost it. I had no rent money. You know, I was on food stamps. I was off the government. I um, was so depressed. I, you know, had a, a, a my back was in so much pain. Um, so I ended up leaving the casino and I called my ex and I said, I need to go to treatment. I have to go. I'm going to kill myself. I don't know what to do. And he said, okay, he's out of town. You know, he's going to try to see what he can do. So I had my last hurrah that week, if you will. My dad ended up coming. And by this point, it was by the grace of God, somehow he had a huge chunk of money. And he said that he'd help me go to detox and all this stuff. But another constant conflict here with me is that he knew I had a problem with gambling. He knew I had a problem with alcohol. He knew I had a problem with meth, pills, all these things. And he brought it to me. We did lines together. We went to, uh, we were getting all my stuff ready for treatment. I remember just being whacked out of my mind. I couldn't think straight. And we got a bunch of stuff for me to go to treatment and detox. And he said, let's go to the casino the night before detox. And I was like, oh my God, like looking at him like, do you care? What the hell? Like I'm, I'm so me- I've been up for days now. I'm on drugs. I, I drank, you know, two days ago and you want me to drive you to the casino. Okay, let's go. You know, he had money. All right. I mean, what, what was my other choice? So we went up there and I remember just being really wide eyed and it was weird. And we left there and this was a huge turning point again, closer to my recovery now because I got pulled over. It was four forty-five in the morning the cop, you know, pulled me over and it, I was in his girlfriend's car. I was so scared. I was like, Oh my God, you know, I've never had a ticket. I look like a tweaker right now. I can't even believe this. I took my beanie off. I put my hair up. He said, step out of the car. <sighs> I went to him and he looked in my eyes with the, the flashlight and he said, you know, why are your pupils so big? I said, I've, I've been on seizure medication. I just had seizures. My dad came to visit me. Um, you know, he wanted to go to the casino and that was it. He says, why does it smell like alcohol in there? I said, my dad was drinking. He said, okay, you know what? This is shift change. Please go home. I was going to detox in five hours, you know, in the morning. And so that right there was the grace of God giving me my chance. It's so powerful to me. Um, we ended up, you know, going home and I just couldn't believe it. I took the rest of my pills and did the rest of my lines. And I don't even know where my son was by this point. I can't remember at all. And my dad dropped me off at detox. And that was uh, February 9th, 2013. I was there for 10 days. And uh, after that, I went into treatment the 17th. And that's when I consider it my my uh, sobriety date. Because all those days beforehand were like 10 days. I hardly remember them. I was not. I didn't want to be there half the time. And then I did. I was throwing up. It was crazy. So, you know, I don't count that as anything. Just a detox. So the 17th, I went to my treatment center and I was there for five months. And, uh, that's what I did, you know, at that point. And I'm so grateful that I went because it was a place where I could 
act like my 14 year old self when I started using. I had good friends. We smoked cigarettes all the time. We went to meetings and I knew this is something that I needed, but um, I wasn't too serious about it just yet. Cause I didn't know I had to be, I didn't know. I, I'd ask people, aren't you going to smoke pot after this? And they're like, no, no. And I was like, what? Oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I, you know, freaking out. So anyway, I found a sponsor when I was in there, we started some steps. She wasn't working a program. I had no idea. Um, and then, you know, I, I saw my son every now and then when I was in there and, and that was really hard to be away from him. I was so close to my boy that I had to leave him for five months, you know, and, um, I was, I was dead inside because I left him. I felt like a bad mother, but I knew I needed to do this. And everybody else said I did. And that's, you know, I, I, uh, that's, I needed a breath there. <laughs> Anything you want to reflect on? To, no, before no. I go so on? I'm, you're really, uh, you're covering this and, and I love it. I'm actually, uh, very intrigued. I'm just listening in. And, uh, so, yeah. so, so now it looks like you've gotten into, uh, uh you got into treatment uh, had you ever experienced a uh, recovery? Did you know about AA? Where, I mean, when they were talking about all this terminology inside there, were you uh, excited about it? Did it turn you off? What were you thinking? Right. Well, um, it's crazy because uh, before that, I had gone to a couple meetings, you know, b- between the times of my seizure. So July to December in uh, 2013, I went to a couple and, um, I was still doing pills though. So I stood up for my, for my 60, 90 day chip, you know, and I'm like, Oh yeah, sitting there with these bright red lips. I don't even know what I was doing, but I was on pills. And I look back, if I were to see somebody in the rooms now that's like, Oh my God, what are you doing lady? Like, geez, you know, um, I didn't know too much about it, honestly, but what was weird, what I did find out is that this, the row that I was partying on, which was, it's called, uh, I'm not going to say what it is. Cause I don't want to, people might know, but, um, downtown where I was partying, um, a mile and a half away was where my treatment center was going to be. So that is what was weird to me. I was partying that constant conflict, right? It's like me over here and then me over there. It's just crazy how it all worked out. Of course, in God's timing. I mean, that's just what it was, you know? And then, um, what I'd like to say about being in there too is, uh, no, it didn't turn me off ever. I thought it was amazing. And, you know, there was a lot of guys in the, in the, in the rooms and all this stuff, you know, and, uh, but by that point it was, you know, you need to stay away from guys. You need to do this. And that was hard for me to do. It was very hard for me to do. Um, you know, cause that's where I always got my comfort for whatever reason. And, um, so you've talked yeah, that about that quite a bit during this yeah. uh, time together here. And, and what I keep thinking about while you're sharing is that there are a lot of young women, maybe not young, maybe just women in general, but uh, mm-hmm. especially it would seem like some of the younger women who have that same sort of uh, inclination, if you will, toward filling their insides by uh, by a, a relationship with a man and or a woman, right? But Absolutely. what... I guess reflecting back on that now, can you see? Obviously, you you see the 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 challenges with that, but but I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more, maybe in depth on that, in terms of what did you see? What have you learned from that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, reflecting on that, I this last time that I did my four step, I was able to reflect on that more and write down all the guys I had been with, the reason why I did what I what I did to them, what I was actually searching for, and of course, I mean, it always goes back to your childhood, and I was searching for yeah to fill that void of not having my dad there, of having that love and comfort. I didn't have it from women, 
um, you know, I really didn't even, even my family, it was, there was always something that I hate to say jealousy, but it was almost envy. You know, I had a, I did have a lot of qualities. I really did. You know, I took care of myself and, you know, I could sing, I could dance. I could, um, I was smart. I was good in school. I, I did have a lot of qualities, but the women that I surrounded myself with did not like that. So I felt very, um, guilty. I felt guilty for who I was inside. Like I couldn't let myself shine. You know, I had to kind of dumb myself down wherever I went. And, um, I did that with men too, but yeah, I know that I had to, uh, fill that void with the men. I mean, I was, I was lacking it from my father. I, I was not, um, you know, I was never in one place at one time. And so it was very scattered and I was always moving and I never had anything to feel secure. It was my complete insecurities. Um, and a lot of those guys today I got to do amends with, and I didn't even know I hurt a lot of these people. And I did, and I hurt them for my own, uh, to fill my own void, to, to help me and nothing to do with them. It was to help myself. So to look at that today and know that, um, it is, it's, it's, it was a lot of, it was revealing and it was amazing to find out it was hurtful. It was weird, you know, but it's nice to be able to identify those things. Um, a lot of too, as I talk about, you know, with my friends or in recovery is that, you know, I feel like I have these three people. I have that five-year-old child that's calling for her dad, you know, or looking out for a mom's love. And, you know, that makes me sad when I think about my five-year-old self, you know, and then I look at my teenage self where I was just uh, so insecure and and so sad and had so much anxiety, but I'm crazy and I want to just gouge your eyes out and I'm mad and I'm angry. And then I have the person I am today, which is like, I'm just robotically trying to go through life and make things work and, and be a mother and be a wife and be, you know, in the program and be a sponsee and a sponsor. And that's a lot of roles you have to take Okay, and to look at those two people, you know? Okay. So, so you just mentioned there, yeah, be a mother and a wife. So, yes. uh, okay. L- let's take this from 2014 sure. uh, on to today. So absolutely. First of all, did you ever, were you ever able to reconcile with your mother that we talked about on the beginning of this. That's right. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, yeah. At the one point where I was working at Nordstrom in that year, I met her when I was about 21. And, uh, you know, when I saw her, I was, it was just so weird, you know, cause I, I was so excited to do that. I was at my, her mom's house, actually my grandma's house when I was living there for a little bit. And how was that uh, meeting arranged? Well, I think my grandma had called her and said, you know, come over, Brittany's here. And uh, she did come over, but she was on drugs and I could see it in her eyes. And I remember just my insides just crushed. I felt crushed and it was like, God, I just, I can't freaking turn to anyone. Like my parents are just not there. They're just not there, you know? And uh, I took that with me. And then we did begin to have whenever I had Devin or uh, my youngest or my oldest son, Whenever I had him, um, she did start to come into the picture a little bit, even if she was using or not. And I guess she stopped using by that point. And she helped me with the baby shower. And, you know, we went to, uh, where was it? Orange County for that. And I was living still in Arizona with my husband. And um, so she was there off and on, you know, and then we got into fights when I was drinking because I couldn't help myself. But to say to her or my dad, how dare you do this? How dare you leave me? You made me the person I am. Just really making them probably feel terrible when they really knew no other way. You know, and I see that today and that's all right. And uh, no, she's not in my life today. However, um, you know, but let's, let's go on. Like you said, 2014. Um, I, yeah, so I got sober and I, I went back with uh, my ex because we had gotten a divorce, but you know, he was so caring and loving. He really was. He did the best he could. And I just, I still, I couldn't do it, you know, and we stayed together for probably about 
I don't know, till, till about 2016, I think 2017, I had a job in between there and I was going to school and I was doing really well in my sobriety and an amazing sponsor. Um, she today is one of, one of my closest, dearest. I, I just love her and I can trust her and she's amazing. So nice to be able to feel that today. Um, and, uh, so I, I moved out and, um, I ended up, you know, getting a, another boyfriend very quickly and who is my husband today. And, you know, we've almost been together about three years and we got married, uh, in May last year. Of course, I, I got pregnant very quickly again, you know, I stayed sober through this whole time. A lot of things that happened in between there that were really, really hard to stay sober for. Um, but I did it. And, and, and how know, did you meet your now husband? I met him in AA actually. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> so he, he exuded, you know, everything that I think, uh, I wanted to see in a man, you know, he had just the way he spoke and he was funny and he had sobriety and he loved God and he prayed and, you know, he had children and he had just gone through a divorce about a year before that. And, you know, he worked out of town, so he works in the oil field. So he's gone for two weeks. He's back for two weeks. And again, my life is still chaotic. It's never just one place, but I do have one home that I do stay at that is comfortable. It's loving, it's clean, and we make sure that we take care of it. You know, it's a new home. So we're very lucky for that. Uh, but, um, so you have a blended family. He had children as well. Is that correct? Mm -hmm, he did. Yep, he does. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So now they are nine uh, seven and five. And then my oldest son is nine, uh, almost nine. And then my baby now that we had together is 18 months. Wow. That's a busy household. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's a busy household. But what's amazing is, you know, I'm able to stay home today and I get to, you know, cook. I make my, I made two loaves of bread the other day, you know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't even see myself doing that. Um, so I do, and I, I do everything I can to make sure that this household is clean and safe and happy the best of my ability. And my husband tries to too. You talked about your sponsor quite a bit. Can you tell me about your sponsor? You said you, you love your sponsor. You had a great relationship with her. I did. I do have a great relationship with her. She's actually no longer my sponsor. She actually, um, like I said, is just somebody who I call. She was my sponsor for about two or three years, I think, in my sobriety. Amazing. Um, I learned a lot from her. I went through my steps with her. And, uh, uh, you know, it was amazing to be in that circle of people that had over 30 years. I mean, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to be around. When I was in treatment, it was a different story. It was, oh, you have two days? Yeah, let's go hang out. Let's go smoke a cigarette. But now I knew what I wanted to be around. I knew what I needed for my sobriety. I knew that I needed to keep in the book and go to meetings and stay with her. Um, so we had a little bit of a falling out. And then uh, I had a different sponsor in the meantime. I wasn't working my program. This is when I was pregnant and then had my son. And uh, I didn't drink or use. However, you know, I went through a C-section and I, I uh, was breastfeeding and I felt like I couldn't get out because he cried a lot. He was colic. It was God, you know, and I, sometimes I do online meetings, but I wasn't really into it. I call her every now and then. So I ended up dropping that sponsor. Um, and then my first sponsor that I was talking to you about, she mentioned this gal named Susan and she said she would be amazing for you. And I, I was thinking, oh my God, you know, she, she has a Louis Vuitton person. She just looks so good all the time. I don't know, you know, and I always try to keep myself up the best that I can. And I'm very precise, very particular. And it's like perfection for me and not progress. So that's really hard to live and deal with, honestly. But I did feel less than and I was scared to ask her and I ended up asking her and it was one of the best things that I've ever done in my entire life. She connected with me on um, different things than, you know, the other gal had who, again, I love her still to this day. Um, 
you know, we connected on different things that I never thought that I could really tell anybody. I thought that I would be shamed for it. I had a lot of, yeah, I worked through a lot of my shame and guilt with my first sponsor, but there was still shame and guilt there, my insecurities. And she's the one who helped me, you know, through my step this whole last year through my steps. And she presented my five-year chip to me last year and, um, we were pretty close and, you know, she really did love me and to have, you know, a woman love me the way that she did was just, um, cause this is really fresh too. It's really new going through things like this in sobriety are hard because they hurt and there's, you know, it's a, you just don't know how. Um, but I do know how today because I have my program and thank God for that. So what I'm getting at is, you know, we would spend a lot of time together. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, we spent on the phone about 45 minutes. You know, we talked about everything I was able to tell her. Thank you so much for watching my kids, my boys, you know, when everybody's gone, I don't have the other kids full time. So, um, but you know, when, when everybody was gone and I needed some help, she would come over and she would be there. We would meet every other week and do my steps and we talk on the phone. So that last time, three weeks ago that we spoke on the phone, I'm grateful. I got to tell her how much I loved her and how, how grateful I was for her, for helping me get to meetings, for helping me at times that I really needed her through my relationship. And, uh, I ended up seeing her at the store later that day, which was weird because we both don't usually go to that store. And I remember her just, you know, looking at me and telling me she loved me. And I, I love you too. Like, why are you over here? You know, and I was getting stuff for this whole uh, pandemic that's going on. You know, I was the one in pandemonium and I was freaking out and getting rice and not hoarding. Okay. But I was getting the rice and all the stuff we're supposed to. Anyway, so um, that was one of the last times I saw her. And uh, what, what's, what's important about what I'm going to share right now is what happened and led up to what happened to her. Um, so just last week, it was last Friday. Uh, you know, my dad, I was going to say that he started going to meetings. He was on his third meeting by this point that morning. I didn't feel well. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go anywhere. And he said, Hey, I just got out of a meeting. He lives in North Carolina. I just got out of a meeting and it was really good. And, and this is what I learned, you know, this, this, and this. And I said, Oh my God, my dad is going to lead by example right now. And I need to do the same thing and go to a meeting. So I went to this meeting last Friday. My sponsor was there. Through, uh, us three sponsees were there. Her sponsor was there. We got around the room. It was on God works in mysterious ways. And a lot of people have sobriety, so much sobriety in this room. It was amazing. I think I'm one of the youngest ones there, actually, my husband and I. And uh, I went and I shared. The gal who cut me off as her sponsor. And she said, you know, uh, we need to move on. We have more people in the room. And I said, okay. And I had to sit there. I don't know if that's happened to anybody, but I had to pray about it. And I'd say, you know what? God wanted me to be quiet. He wanted me to listen to somebody else right now. The reason why this worked out was because it went through three people you know, my, my sponsor sponsor who was leading the meeting shared my sponsor was sharing and it was God works in mysterious ways. She had said that she was sober for 13 years. She went out for 13 years and now she has eight years and everything that she's learned, nothing happens by coincidence. And all of a sudden, you know, she looked into the middle of the room and she said, I, I'm not feeling well. And something happened with her lips. Like it was like the life just came right out of her and she was starting to fall to the floor and everybody was running to her. I was kind of having a panic attack because I was scared. I didn't know if it was real or what was going on. And um, she died right there, right in front of us. Wow. My goodness. Yeah. yeah. So, um, How, what you know, the most... Do, was she, does she have an embolism or something? Do you know? Uh, what, what it was was her, something about an aorta was blocked or uh, it was cardiovascular disease. And she wasn't getting oxygen to her, uh, maybe what to her blood or the blood wasn't going to her, her head. I think I, I'm not too sure. I didn't really dive much into it. I've been 
thinking about a lot of things last week, but um, that it was something had to do with her heart. And I guess it went undetected. She was the most fit woman. She was 70 years old. She was fit. She did CrossFit four days a week. She was doing sit-ups with my son on the floor. I mean, this woman, she ate fish all week long. She had sponsies. She did everything as far as like um, going to retreats and she would be involved in intergroup and she would be involved in, in the shoestring roundup and she would be involved in this. And just to have somebody that was like that, that I could look up to was so amazing. But the thing that she always used to tell me was that, you know, Britt, you have such a support group out there. You have such a support group. And I didn't know what she meant by that because I only talked to her and I only talked to my other sponsor. And I'm like, I, maybe she's confused. You know what, what does she mean by that? When she died, I got more, I got more numbers from women that week that I've had, um, than I've had my entire six years of sobriety. I have had more women text me. I have had more women reach out to me. I have had more women hug me. I have had, I mean, all of her sponsees, we were all there together. So now we have this connection and it's one of the most amazing things that I can say that I'm living, I'm living through today. I have women that love me and I genuinely love them because of her. It was like I had that had to happen because of her for me to be able to see that network of women she was always talking about. And I have it today. I have that today. It's the only way I'm getting through this is the connection, going to meetings and being open and honest about it. Wow. I'm so yeah. sorry you and the group had to go through that. But but I could tell you, if I had to pick a way to <laughs> check out i know uh, i mean i know <laughs> this is a tough time right now but uh you know when you think about it in retrospect my goodness and that was just how long like a week and a half ago or so yeah no this was on this was last friday so it was a week and a day ago wow and so we have been, we have had this scheduled now for like a, yes. a couple of months or so right in that area mm -hmm. and so what timing uh god bless her what's her name again susan is that right her name is Susan C. Yeah. yeah, Susan C. Well, she's at the big meeting in the sky. And once again, I'm so sorry you're going through this mm -hmm. right now, Brittany. But uh, yeah, but what I what I would really like to say though is that um, I'm in acceptance. I'm in acceptance that physically she is not here. She is with the Lord. I mean, everything that day by my dad going to a meeting made me go to a meeting. I got cut off just in time for her to share her last share of her life that we will ever hear. And, and she passed in an AA meeting where people love her, where people cherish her, where everybody is trusted in there. And it, it is, it's the only, I mean, that's what people are saying. If I, if I were to go, I'd love to check out that way. But, you know, being left here on earth and missing her smile and missing her smell and missing her eyes and she didn't judge me and I'm okay to grieve through that. You know, I know that today I can do it and I can do it with uh, coffee and water <laughs> and making myself eat. I don't need to turn to alcohol or drugs. That was not my first thing that I thought of, which makes me feel and know I am, I'm good in my program right now. I don't have it, you know, like people say, but I, it is that progress, not perfection in my program right now as we speak. God bless you. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> all right. Before we wrap it up, is there anything else you would like to add, Miss Brittany? I just want to make sure we don't miss anything uh, important. By the way, I say that and just about every time I do one of these interviews, somebody comes up afterwards and goes, oh, man, I forgot to say this. Oh, I forgot to say that. So, right. But is there anything right. you want to add before I uh, read page 164 from the book? You know, not really. I think I kind of organically got out what I needed to get out. And if I can help somebody today with everything that I've gone through, all those key points, like if they've gone through that too, 
and even just losing my sponsor right before my eyes, um, there is a way to get through it. And it's the program. It's the people in the program. It's lifting that phone. It's talking to them, you know, being close to my husband. He's in AA too. And for him to be able to be there for me and comfort me and do what he needed to do. I'm, I'm so grateful and lucky for that. And I know you can get through it. It's believing in your higher power and being there with uh, the program. We've covered quite a few topics. We covered seizures. We covered mm. anxiety. We covered mm. promiscuity. We covered uh, mm. fathers. We covered meth. Uh, we covered mothers. Uh, we've talked about a lot of subjects, and I'm I'm absolutely thrilled that mm. you know um, I, I love it when people come on and they are this vulnerable. This is what helps other people, and I am just uh, I'm forever thankful that you're able to come on here and do it. And I know that the audience that hear this is going to benefit from it, Brittany. Thanks again. Wonderful. Thank you. Page one sixty four says. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and Miss Brittany, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Ms. Brittany, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. I really am so grateful. As Ms. Brittany mentioned, there is a way to get through it. Whatever it may be for you as you're listening out there today, there is a way to get through it. If you enjoyed this episode and you think it would benefit one of your friends or family members, please pause your device and share it with somebody. It may just be the thing that they need to hear today to get them through. Ms. Brittany, once again, thank you for coming in here and being vulnerable uh, and sharing your story with the Sober Speak audience. God, Godspeed to you and to your family. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback for Ewan's. The first bit of listener feedback we have comes from Mr. Leon. Leon, Leon excuse me, writes in and he says, Hi, John. Thank you. I try to learn something from every speaker, but if pushed, I have Bill C., Gary K., Jimmy D., Brenda J., and Andrew A. on a perpetual cycle. Big smiley face. He says, I live in Melbourne, Australia. Well, crikey there, Mr. Leon. <laughs> crikey, isn't that what they say? Is that a cuss word? I don't think that's a cuss word, but anyway... Whatever you guys do over there in Australia, making Vegemite sandwiches. Speaking of Vegemite, what is a Vegemite sandwich? Is that like a like a, a can of vegetables that you pour on uh, bread or something like that? And now that I'm thinking this through a little bit more, I think it may be actually a, a spread. I don't think I've ever had Vegemite in my life. But you know, oh, you know where I know it from. It's in that, that song uh, about Vegemite sandwich. He said... Oh, come from the land down under. You know what I'm talking about. Nonetheless, Leon, my sincerest apologies for 
let's let's just get right on with the rest of your uh with the rest of your uh, feedback that you gave here anyway he says i live in melbourne australia i have a two-year-old daughter and her mother lets me see her on a regular basis thus some sobriety thus uh, thus some sobriety has given me the opportunity to be a reliable and giving parent I spent today released from the bondage of self by focusing on others, and your show forms a large part of the reminder and motivation for that. The last few days have been wonderful as the fabric of AA spreading the earth's surface has been pulled together by the single stray string difficulty that is coronavirus. I feel closer to our brothers and sisters in far away lands than I ever have. Difficulty has become a blessing, hardship, and an opportunity. Kindest thoughts, Leon T. Well, thank you, Mr. Leon T. And thank you for your feedback there from down under. I sure do appreciate it. And uh, I'm so glad that I can be part of this journey with you, Mr. Leon. Ryan Z DMs me on the IG. For you non-cool people, that is, he direct messaged me on Instagram. Anyway, he says, good morning, John M. Thank you for everything you do, exclamation point. I have been a faithful listener for about six months. I truly enjoy all your episodes. Well, that's because of the wonderful people that we bring on this show. And thank you, Mr. Ryan. He says, I am a chef in Annapolis, Maryland. While I'm, I'm, uh, I am a chef in Annapolis, Maryland. While I'm preparing and cooking meals, I listen to you and the shares. It's difficult sometimes for me being a chef, even more being a sober chef. I will, you, you know what, Mr. Ryan? I can relate to that. I, I worked in uh, restaurants and bars and such, uh, even when I was newly sober, and I completely get it, my friend. Anyway, he says, I will be celebrating two years of sobriety on July 7th. Sober Speak has been an amazing influence on me and my sobriety. Thank you, Ryan Z. Well, Mr. Ryan Z, I'm trying to picture what you may be doing while you are actually listening to this podcast right now, hearing your own name mentioned. My guess is that you are cooking up something. Okay, now let me try to imagine what it may be. Could it be uh, potatoes? Uh, could it be vegetables? Uh, could it be meat? Could it be chicken? It could be so many different things. And I will just get off my food list now and say, thank you so much, Ryan Z. I appreciate it. Adrian DMs me on the Instagram as well. And he says, thank you for your service, sir. Sober Speak has been a big part in my recovery since I found you. Uh, June 20th, I will be two years, one day at a time. Well, congratulations on your two years. And I don't know if I said congratulations to Mr. Ryan Z on July 7th, two years as well. So that is fantastic for both of you. I absolutely, absolutely love it. Laura S writes in from Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio. And she says, hi, John, my name is Laura S and I'm coming up on 90 days sober. Congratulations, Miss Laura S. She says, I found your podcast very quickly when I started treatment 
And at first thought, I wasn't a podcast kind of person, but since we have been so isolated lately, I have begun to listen almost every day. I just finished listening to both podcasts with Bob S., the Marine Corps veteran. I was in tears so many times listening to the joy he experienced in sobriety, the sadness of war and losing a child. Although I can't relate to every part of his story, I connected to his story through military service. I am an Army veteran, never deployed. Uh, my brother is a Marine Corps uh, vet and my youngest brother is active in the army. The fear and uncertainty we experienced stateside when my oldest brother was deployed was enough to make anyone drink. I can imagine the things my brother went through in the Helmand prom- province during the war. I can only imagine the PE. PTSD he suffers with. Although I am a nurse and I have a bit of experience in mental health in my own recovery, Bob's story really shed some light on what it's like to live with PTSD. I'm not the greatest with words and trying to describe the connection I felt with his story feels impossible, but right now I'm filled with joy and hope. This journey into sobriety has not been what I expected. Uh, it's not what those dim gym, dim gymnasiums with chairs in a circle look like in the movies. <laughs> you look like you're pretty good with words to me. She says, I've, I've had fun. I've made some new friends. I've told stories that I, I never would have 90 days ago. And it's all thanks to AA and people like you. Well, likewise, Miss Laura. She says, thank you so much for the podcast, Laura. P.S. Can you add me to the secret Facebook group? My email associated with my Facebook group is such and such. And we got her in there. So glad you can be part of that secret Facebook group, Miss Laura. And you know, I want to know, I want you to know this also. I passed on your comments to Bob S. Um, And he commented back to me and he says, you know, this is great, John. Sometimes you wonder if you're really getting through to people or not. And I'm telling you, if there's any of you who have been impacted by one of these speakers and you want me to pass a message on to them, I will do it in a heartbeat. They love to hear it. uh, And I love passing it on. It makes me feel like like we're doing something worthwhile. John D. writes in, he says, my name's John D. I go by the handle of Grateful John. Well, hello, Grateful John. Let's just get right down to being friends, Grateful John. I live in Portsmouth, Rhode Island. I learned about Sober Speak from a good friend, Bill C., who lives in the South Bay around L.A. I know Mr. Bill C. He says, I am also a recovering drug addict. I started N.A. on the 4th of July, 1975. I became a drug and alcohol counselor for the Navy in 1980. My last drink was New Year's Eve 1978, but I did not join AA for myself until January 25th, 1982 when I was suicidal one more time. That's a lot of different dates there. But my goodness, that sounds like quite a journey, Mr. Grateful John. He said, my first AA meeting for me, for myself, was a nooner at the NAS North Island, where I was a counselor. 
The 25th of January is what I consider my true sobriety date. I have been involved in various service work and continue to sponsor. I have not checked out any of the speakers yet, except for Bill C., who I know well. His father was a pioneer in AA in the LA area. Keep on keeping on. Grateful John, we surrender to win, he says. Well, thank you, Grateful John. And yeah, we talked about that actually on one of the episodes with Mr. Bill C about his father and his mother actually uh, helped to start the uh, Al-Anon, helped to start Al-Anon in the uh, LA area. Candace writes in and Candace says, good evening, I think she wrote this in the evening. What do you think? She says, I wanted to thank you for presenting such wonderful experience, strength, and hope via podcast. Prior to COVID, a podcast would get me through after a long shift at work and a fairly long commute home as well. It's nice, it's nice to have this in my toolbox when I can't make a meeting. Taking step one and surrendering my life gave my kids their mother back. Oh, an improved one at that. <laughs> That's a good thing. And help me find the person God has intended me to be all along. So thank you, triple exclamation point, Candace C. Also, can I be part of the super secret Facebook group? Please add me. Well, we got her in there and we're so glad to have you in there, Miss Candace. All right, everybody. That's a wrap for another week of listener feedback. I will most likely be back next week. As I always say, I'm taking this one week at a time. God bless you all. Godspeed. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Love you guys.